Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel. Today I'm with Alex Greenberg. <laughs> so, I haven't done anyone from... PR before and I was like I have to get Alex to do my first one because she liked my sidewalks from the beginning we did Troy Boy first and then we did Floss and then Bloody Beetroots and I'm like I have to have you to be the first yeah. person doing PR in my channel and Destructo too oh and Destructo yeah. yes of course <laughs> so you're born in White Plains yeah I was well, born in Bronxville New York which oh. is a suburb of New York City Westchester County mm -hmm. and um, yeah I grew up there um, it was, uh, you know, suburbia, so it was not the most exciting place to grow up. Mm -hmm. So, but like, were you into music all along? Or? Oh yeah, I always loved music. Um, my parents were a lot older than most parents at that time. So my dad listened to a lot of Benny Goodman and my mom was really into Charles Aznavour because oh. she's French. Um, but I was growing up in New York in the late 80s, early 90s. I'm just dating myself right now. <laughs> um, but at that time, especially in high school, I was listening to a lot of everything, a lot of metal, a lot of rock, and a lot of freestyle music, which was really big in New York at that time. Um, and I used to sneak out of my house and go to the Limelight, which is this really amazing, legendary club in New York City. And that's really where I kind of got introduced to electronic music. Mm. And then um, after that, I graduate. when I graduated, I went to college. When I graduated college, I moved, I came out to LA on vacation. Mm -hmm. How did you know that you wanted to get into PR? You know, uh, that's a really good question. It was really a happy accident. Um, I really wanted to learn how to make music videos. Oh. And when I went to college, uh, for whatever reason, I was late on registering or I couldn't get into the introductory track for, mm -hmm. for film. So the guidance counselor was like, why don't you try publicity, PR? And I'm like, I have no idea what that is, but mm -hmm. sure, sounds good. He's like, you'll be great at it. So I do the, I just stayed in the track for whatever reason, never went on to learn how to make films. But um, what was really fascinating to me is at the time, I think my senior, senior year, my college professor was an adjunct and she did PR for Woodstock 95. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Festival publicity. Mm -hmm. How cool is that? So uh, it's like, oh, maybe this is a good thing for me. I don't know. I'll try mm -hmm. it. And then when I got out to L.A., I didn't have a um, really anything back in New York to go back to. So I figured I may as well try getting a job in something that I have the degree in. Mm. And that's how I started making my way into PR. So you never, wait, sorry, so you never tried to find a job in New York? No. Didn't really? No. I knew when I was very young that I was going to move out to California. Oh. For whatever reason, you know, you know in your soul, yeah. like, these burning things about you, I knew that I had to be in California. Oh, because so. that's interesting, because I feel like a lot of the artists haven't moved there yet, right? They were still in New York. Oh, yeah. Everybody of... was still in New York. Yeah. And at that time, really, there wasn't an EDM scene or electronic scene. I mean, trap was absolutely non-existent. This is, like, 20 years before... It's time, so... Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to see the beach and surfing and palm mm -hmm. trees and 
there was something about that that was very attractive to me. How did you get a job here initially? Uh, well, uh, I found an internship through the phone book. A great place, great way to get your foot in the door anywhere is interning, especially mm -hmm. when you're young in a new place and you don't really know a lot of people. You've got to remember, this is the 90s. Facebook didn't exist. It wasn't like you could go on your friend's Facebook page and see who they knew somewhere else. I came out here, I knew one person, really. Wow. So I opened up the phone book, I looked at, under public relations, and I came across this company called Motormouth Media. And that name was so, I was like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time it was Brian Bomberry, who's now Madonna's publicist, oh, wow. Judy Miller Silverman, who's still there. She still runs the company, and Trevor Seaman. And um, I mean, I went and interned for them for a couple of months and it was like osmosis because back then everybody talked on the phone a lot more than they do today. Mm. Now it's a lot of sending emails. Yeah. But back then people called, they pitched on the phone. So I was hearing them talk about music and they were doing a lot of really cool cutting edge types of music. Like the Dust Brothers were one of their clients and they were doing a lot of really edgy stuff. So that's where my fascination with interesting electronic music really started to kick in and then at the same time too being in my 20s I was going out every night I knew where every after hours was I met a ton of people in the club scene in LA which is really popping at that time so yeah what about like after you started working what about it did you realize that this was like a career made for you oh. um, I don't know it just felt natural to me mm -hmm. I always enjoyed talking about music and uh, I get a, I get excited. I get a thrill about when I get something placed. Oh. So yeah. Um, so flash forward a little bit after doing the internship, I get a job at a record label called Red Ant, and one of our artists on the on the um, roster was Love and Rockets, and Deep Dish. I don't even know if a lot of you people remember Deep Dish, but they were one of the original, you know, big names in electronic music. Um, and you may all know part of Deep Dish is Dubfire. Mm. He was in Deep Dish. So they remixed a Love and Rockets track and all my knowledge of like the music and clubs and everything, I was able to pitch that and um, get them reviews. Later on when I went to go work as an independent, I, I was able to go to Deep Dish and say, hey, can I be your publicist? I actually got you all this press when I was at my old record label. So built the foundation in its way. Like mm -hmm. everything's just been a stepping stone. To yeah. Thing. And what happened after that? I was at the record label. Um, I mean, we had a lot of like hip hop and hip hop urban acts like Sons of Man and Salt and Pepper. So I got to work on them. That was really cool. Uh, rock bands like Love and Rockets. Um, and then I left to go work at a fashion PR firm called People's Revolution, oh. which was a ton of fun. Um, people may know Kelly Catrone from Bravo's mm. Kill on Earth. So I worked for her partner, but I also worked for Kelly too. And that was really interesting because they had me doing all the music oriented pitching for all their fashion stuff. So we were doing nightclubs oh. and when there was like a cool party, a fashion launch, I was responsible for inviting music press and musicians and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, I went to MSO, which is the company I work at now that I've been at 17 years. And I was, I guess you could say solicited to go work there mm -hmm. because the owner of the company was seeing artists like Paul Oakenfold getting signed to Maverick. 
uh, Prodigy was on the cover of Rolling Stone, and he also met Sue Zimmerman, Susie, who from Magnum PR. She was handling PR for Nine Inch Nails at the time, and Mitch, the owner of my firm, was handling David Bowie, and they were touring together. So he says to Susie, like, what's, what's hot right now? And she, all she could talk about was electronic music, and I think in his mind, he was thinking, I need this at my company. So I was actually one of the first electronic music people to go into a mainstream music company mm-hmm. and develop a whole, I mean, I developed a whole side of the company based on electronic music mm-hmm. for them. So, How yeah. do you describe the LAE EDM scene back then? It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things about the scene back then was Monday Night Social, which was this incredible club that Mick Cole and Freddie B, they still do this club. Monday, every Monday night, they did at this French restaurant called Louis XIV, which is on La Brea. Mm-hmm. It's not there anymore. But this place was like such a scene. They have, it was a restaurant. They had a little dance floor upstairs in like this attic type of space. You'd see like Fatboy Slim there, Crystal Method, like any big name artist that was coming through town on the weekend to play a rave or a club stayed on through Monday because they would do all their meetings and then everybody would go to Louis the 14th and it was just a blast. Yeah. And then at some point, I think they lost their liquor license. So I remember we used to have to hide our alcohol underneath oh the table gosh. when the fuzz showed up. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. But uh, a lot of fun, yeah. Can you describe the when you started working in electronic PR, what kind of stuff you were doing? Was it before the Hypem era? Oh yeah, yeah, way before, way before. And there's a lot of like uh, indie zines, like Fix Magazine, Lotus, Herb Magazine. These all don't like exist. Like printed? Printed, real oh, wow. printed magazines. Oh, like rare! <laughs> and they were beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah. Was it difficult, this pivot between to online like were you there catching the transition yes I was definitely there for the transition um, I think the most difficult thing was getting people's heads around like print is cachet people mm-hmm. all want to see them always want to see themselves in something physical and tangible exactly yeah and when online started becoming more prevalent because it was less expensive to do and more people actually saw what your product was your article your write-up whatever um, just getting people's heads around okay, you're not going to be in the magazine, but they're going to put it online, and, like, quadruple the amount of people are going to see yeah. your... Did they get that? It took a while for people to understand yeah. that. And even still to this day, some people, but now it's more about, like, great, can I get the online hit? Will you tweet it? Can you put it up in your YouTube, your Facebook page that you have 7 million followers? Like, the amount of exposure is so much big, bigger now. It's crazy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And... How were you finding the initial like blogs that you wanted to work with? I mean, some of them approached me because they know the clients uh, that I handle. Yeah. And then um, you just, you know, there's a set of artists that you follow to see what they're doing. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, like I follow Diplo, I follow Skrillex. Sometimes I see what they're doing with media, mm. and that might be applicable to something that I'm doing. I'm not saying I'm pitching exactly the same things, but they are sources of inspiration. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of that, just kind of word of mouth, too. Mm-hmm. But you see things, like, written up in certain places. So you just kind of, you have to keep your eye on the trends all the time. Mm-hmm. What do your clients look for now? Is it really heavily based on, like, how many followers that publication has? Um, that's a big part of yeah. it. I mean, there's, there's different levels. Because then you, you have media outlets that are cachet. 
you know, that are core to a certain demographic that are really important. Or you have like the big general, like two million daily page view outlets like Rolling Stone. I mean, everybody wants to be on Rolling Stone. Yeah. You know, there's the cool factor and then there's the numbers. Yeah. So you've got to play the game all the time. Mm -hmm. What would you say would be your advice for someone who wants to like premiere with a blog and it's, I mean, it's difficult because you, you don't know who's going to shut you down. The thing that I've learned, one of the great lessons that I've learned in this business, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. If you think somebody's going to magically stumble upon you and want to cover you, I mean, it does happen for some people just because they're fans of the music. But um, you need people out there, team, publicists, managers, agents. Um, you need your supporters of people that are going to put you out front and talk, talk about you. And the more people are hearing your name, the more impressions, the more buzz, it all is uh, relative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you say like with the changing times of social media that artists feel like they probably don't need a publicist if they're going directly to the fans already and can grow it? Like Claro pretty much just went viral without any any PR? I think she has a publicist. Oh, before she went viral? I'm pretty sure she oh. does. Oh. Yeah. Because at the same time, even though media outlets like the you know New York Times and LA mm -hmm. Times and Rolling Stone, they, they watch the socials and they watch the buzz, but publicist still plays a major role in those kind of placements. And just overall organization of media, man, media management, um, and coming up with ideas and story. You know, we're very involved with that. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think, um, how do you think it's changed now though with video? Like there aren't too many people doing video and electronic music, right? Uh, not really too much. Yeah. I think it's a cost factor is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some people don't want to make themselves accessible. I'm not really sure how how that rolls out. Yeah. Would you say that like electronic producers are not as keen to go on video because they're more kind of mysterious compared to like a pop singer or how, like have you tried to push them in video or have they asked to be like in video? I think it really depends on the outlet. Mm. I think if it, if it was, um, you know, if you're talking about Rolling Stone or CNN or something really major where it's a very precise interview and they know what they're getting asked, mm. they'll they might be more inclined to do it. Yeah. So, are you asking for yourself? I'm just curious because I feel like a lot of electronic musicians have just not really, like I've done so many people's first video interviews. Yeah. Like I did a Cali's first video interviews. I didn't even realize and that shocked me. I'm like, so wait, what, like, why aren't more of electronic producers like doing video interviews? And I guess there just hasn't really been that many channels. I don't yeah. know. I mean, there's so many different layers yeah. to that because it could be everything from channels, it could be a budget, you know, because for some people it's, you know, costly to put together mm. a video crew. And yeah. it also could be just trust in the media outlet. Like, who wants to get asked stupid questions on video? Yeah. And, then, and then you get the, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. no answer. <laughs> How did you first get into festival PR? Oh, well, I told you before about my... My, um, my adjunct professor when mm -hmm. I was in college and I was just fascinated with that and then I started going to festivals but really the big jump the turning point of uh, festivals for me was working on Coachella 
because that was, mm -hmm. we really charted some new territory there because there wasn't really, at the time when Coachella started in 1999, they skipped a year and did 2001. I started on Coachella 2001. My company had already been on board oh my gosh, from the beginning. Wow. There was no, there was nothing else going on. Mm -hmm. There was Bonnaroo, there was like Lala in its early stages. Well, actually, Lala was a touring festival, and then they stopped, and then they brought it back. But Coachella really was the blueprint for everything else. It was, it was the, it's the daddy. Yeah. It's, it was the big daddy on all levels, and even from the way that festival PR is handled today. I mean, you know, with all the clients that I have, I get other publicists reaching out to me that are handling other festivals, and they're using the intro letter that we drafted oh my in 2001, verbatim, <laughs> some of them. And uh, so, you know, when I see that, it's really flattering that it still matters to somebody that we did certain things in a certain way that set the precedent. But um, yeah, all those years with Coachella is a really exciting time because we took it from, you know, a two-day festival where they had like 12,000 people show up to now like two weekends That's behemoth so biggest festival in the world yeah. I mean we came off it in 2011 but those were really its formative years in those 10 years so we would we had the opportunity to bring in press from all all over the country it was the first time they're getting to see their artist you know an art a local artist from Boston who's just happened to be from Boston a Boston writer would come out and they get to review them in this like amazing setting mm -hmm. that was just absolutely magical. Yeah. You know, you had palm trees and the golden sunset and the mountains turning purple and you're listening to St. Germain on the outdoor stage and there's no other place in the world that can replicate that. Mm -hmm. So what that was exciting. Of, yeah. What kind of activations were you doing in those early years? Um, you know, nothing too crazy because Coachella had very, you know, they had, they had, they had uh, policies that, you know, or ways that they wanted press handled. They didn't really, I think to this day, they still don't really allow video in. Like, they do their own video, oh. but, you know, MTV's not rolling in with, like, yeah. a 15-person crew to interview everyone and their mother. Mm -hmm. So it was very simple. It was always very focused on the music and the experience. So, yeah. Yeah. And how about compared to now? Like, how has your campaigns changed over time uh, for festivals? Um, well, I mean, every festival property that I work on is different. So, gosh, in the last, since I've been doing PR, I mean, I've worked on, I worked on Electric Daisy Carnival, mm -hmm. I've done Ultra Music Festival, we did All Points West, Electric Zoo. Um, I'm really excited about the new festival that's launching here in LA called All My Friends that yes. is doing. Same. It's going to be so refreshing to be able to roll downtown because there's no other mm -hmm. music festivals in downtown LA. Yeah. At the Row, which is like this beautiful venue with amazing restaurants and shops and see some really cool music on not just, you know, the banging electronic music, mm -hmm. but you know, you're going to see Gucci Mane, you're going to mm -hmm. get to see Janae Aiko, you're going to get to see MIA, which I'm so excited about because I haven't seen her in years. Oh. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it's going to be good. I think they're going to make it super special. And it'll be nice to be able to, like, get in your car and drive home and be home I know, in, like, exactly. 20 minutes instead <laughs> of out in the boonies, yeah. you know. So, but, yeah, and Hard Summer, too. I mean, going back to Gary's stuff, Hard Summer was really amazing, too, to see how much it's grown 
from the time that I started working it to the time I left, which was last year. Mm -hmm. So, wow. yeah, now it's monstrous. Yeah. Everything's big. <laughs> Has it been difficult growing with like social media for festivals? Like now I'm seeing them on like IG stories. Is that something that you're like constantly reading up about and like yeah. thinking about how to swivel? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, social media is such a big part of it. You know, takeovers, live streaming, all that. But, um, you know, we do what we can to give the best experience to those people coming in to cover the festival, the press. But when it gets into like the heavy duty, dark stuff, mm -hmm. um, what's, what's really scares me is it's not the media that films things that gets out there, it's the fans, mm -hmm. you know, and they know how to amplify and they don't understand like, what is it that they're really looking at sometimes? And you don't even really know where their footage is really coming from. So hopefully, uh, I don't know, social media is like this wild west still for a lot of us. But it's exciting at the same mm -hmm. time because now things go up on social media, they become viral and they become news stories in themselves. Can you talk a bit about um, when you worked with David Guetta? Uh, sure. Um, so I, would, I worked on David Guetta's Pop Life album um, for Ultra Records. And David in the entire world is signed to Astral Works and the parent company. But for whatever reason, they didn't pick up the option here in the U.S. at the time. So Ultra got it and took it. He was already a massive star everywhere else in the world. And the nicest fellow so kind and lovely and um, such a pleasure to work with. One of the key highlights of the PR campaign that I loved was being able to help him uh, get on Coachella, which, which, is a, which is a major turning point wow. for him. So, you know, at the time in the early days, um, you know, we would get asked once in a while, like, hey, what are you working on? Or what do you think is mm -hmm. hot or whatever? And uh, that year I was able to throw in the mix David. And next thing you know, the tent was like going crazy. I ran into Paul today. I'm like, Paul, you got to come and see how David's like killing it right now. And I think he was very pleased with the choice that he made that year. And next thing you know, he became the fifth black IP, you know, world, world domination, especially in the United States. So wow. yeah, that was really cool. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> how about for Steve Aoki? Uh, God, Steve. Uh, also like, the nicest guy in the business. Um, you know, we're both Sagittariuses, so I could always <laughs> kind of see on level where he's coming up with things. His work drives, unparalleled um, creativity. I mean, his mind is always going. And, um, you know, I mean, he really knows how to make a show and make things exciting and give back to the fans. And um, he's like, he's a dynamo, mm -hmm. you know. One of the most amazing things I ever got to do with him was go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Um, I have to admit, I wasn't the publicist that set that up for mm -hmm. him. He has a team, you know, different people at different times because he needs different things because he's, he's like a chameleon and the music he makes and the things that he's doing. But they asked me to go. I mean, I would travel with him quite a bit here and there. So we got to go. It was the last Correspondents' Dinner with when Barack Obama was in office. Wow. So it was super special, and it was it was like going to the prom, the White House prom. <laughs> prom and Steve Aoki we snuck into, to the White House. We snuck into the Vanity Fair party, which is my party goal mm. ever. 
It was amazing. It was at the French consulate's house, and we just happened to roll up, and we're standing outside, and everyone's whispering, Steve Aoki, and I'm like, okay, can we come inside? <laughs> it was really fun, Whoa, though. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. There was so many incredible people. I mean, we were meeting politicians and major people in media and um, you know, when you're in this business, you really don't get privy to those kind of people so often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so, like, what type of life is that? It no, was super PR. special. <laughs> you know, you turn around at a party and they're like, oh, I, I'm a aide for Senator blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, I live in LA and <laughs> I hang out in nightclubs sometimes and I know this rock star, but it was really, uh, you know, the vibe was so up at that time. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what it would be like to go now. Yeah. How about so. for Dead Mouse? Uh, so Joel, I've worked with him pretty much his whole career, his Dead Mouse. Wow. Um, got him on the cover of Rolling Stone, which was, that's, that's my gold star of my career. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm um, getting goosebumps like hearing all your stories. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Joel, I mean, he just like, I've, as an artist, I have so much respect for him because he makes real, not saying fake, but he makes like real music. I mean, his music is so true that he made an orchestral album and it worked. Mm -hmm. That's how you know that your stuff is popping, right? Yeah. So, um, and I also have so much respect for him as a human in the fact of he says what everybody else is thinking, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you need that that person to be like, look, this is wrong, or this is what I think. He has an opinion and he's not afraid to voice it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, speaking of social media, that has a whole life of its own. His Twitter channel is like the best <laughs> thing to follow. I mean, I find out stuff on there before, <laughs> he tells before he, I, anyone tells me. <laughs> but um, we get to do a lot of cool and interesting things with him. And, you know, the mouse head has been a global it's a global icon, you know, people mm -hmm. all over the world of all ages know. I knew he hit it big when we were at um, Austin City Limits. I think it was like 2000 and I want to say nine. I could be wrong. Anyways, we're at this like music festival, mainstream music festival in Austin, Texas. The most, I mean, Austin is very, you know, very liberal city, but Texas is very conservative. And I'm standing in the crowd watching Joel's set and I turn around, and I see this family. Like, it was a full-on, like, grandparents, parents, little kids watching Dead Mouse, having the time of their lives. And they were talking about him, like, household name. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, we've hit it. This yeah. is, when you reach that level and people you know you at, on those three levels as a family, mm -hmm. something's happening there, right? Yeah. So I love that. That is really cool. What would you say are the biggest challenges doing PR? Nowadays, it's the accessibility. Everything moves so fast. Mm -hmm. You know, if something comes out in the news and it's wrong, it spreads like wildfire and mm -hmm. it can be so damaging and sometimes you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time too, it can be a benefit because something gets out there that fast and it spreads everywhere. You have your viral moment. Mm -hmm. But it can be a little intimidating and just you know, especially with like cell phones and email and text yeah. messaging and you're accessible at all times of the day or night. Most, most everyone that I work with though is very respectable, respectable, <laughs> is very respectful of 
hey, I'm in England. My publicist is in LA. She's still asleep. I'm just going to send her an email. She'll see it when she wakes up. Mm -hmm. I get up at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So in the UK, it's, you know, still business hours somewhat. So, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know how the publicists overseas um, can manage international press when they're in like Thailand and yeah. they've got an artist touring America. I, I don't can handle I got enough going on here in mm -hmm. North America to deal with. <laughs> There's so much media, you know, everything from websites to TV, TV placements to magazines, newspapers, you know, all the social media stuff. You know, now we're pitching somewhat, you know, Instagram people with large Instagram followings, because mm -hmm. that's another way of getting the word out there. So it's just a constant, and everyone's flipping around so quickly now because a lot of it's going digital and everything moves so fast. So that in itself, is keeping up with all the contacts can mm -hmm. be a little intimidating. So last, we figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah. We make it happen. <laughs> last question, what didn't be remembered for? Damn it, <laughs> trick question. <laughs> I ask everyone. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you ask somebody else that, you, they probably would say Alex got her hustle on all the time. <laughs> um, I don't know. I gotta, that is, I, I'm stumped. I don't know. <laughs> Great work. Mm -hmm. Making stars, helping people um, with their careers. You know, maybe hopefully doing good things for some people mm -hmm. would be nice. Of course. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Yay, this is awesome. you're welcome. <laughs> By the way, this is, yeah. I think this is my first interview in like four years. Oh, I'm so happy. Oh, I'm so glad we could do this. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>